another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. We are in um, the second episode of a series that I started last week called Hope in the Midst of Disappointing Circumstances. And I'm so excited about this series as I expressed to you last week if you tuned in. If you did not, I encourage you to catch that episode. Also look at the article, it's on BeulahGirl.com. This podcast is coming out of BeulahGirl.com. If you've never uh, visited the site, I encourage you to go do so. You can become a follower on social media, Facebook, um, Google Plus is now going away. So Facebook and Twitter, or you can get our articles via um, email. But I do post a couple times each month, not every week, but it's the almost weekly podcast. So I do try to do three or four times a month. But we are in the midst of a series that I'm just so excited about. Last week, we talked about work. And if you're in a place where you don't feel like what you're doing is meaningful, you know God has you in the place that you're in, and yet you feel like most of what you do is entirely pointless and you're wondering you know, when things are going to uh, get better or when you're gonna see more results or you're going to feel like you're doing something important. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you're with small kids all day and you're feeling like you have no purpose or wondering what your identity even is anymore. Or maybe you're at an office job that you just feel like is going nowhere. You just don't know why God has you in that place. Whatever the case, last week I looked at a, a scriptural definition of work and Isaiah 49 and just looked at some words that Isaiah writes concerning what Jesus did on earth and how some of his work did not look to be initially successful because he was rejected by his own nation. But in the end was very successful. So we look at that and just just finding encouragement for those places. In this episode, the focus is going to be slightly different. We're still going to be drawing from Isaiah 49, a different section of the verse, but we're gonna be focusing on in this episode, the promise we have in scripture that God will refresh us and nourish our souls when we walk with him, that we have the assurance given us in the passage we're going to read today and also other places of scripture that when we refresh others, when we do God's work, that he in turn will refresh us. And so just looking at that more in detail and what that really means. So many years ago, 23 years ago, actually, to be exact, Chicken Soup for the Soul was published and since then it sold more than a hundred million books in the United States and Canada and has been translated into more than 40 languages. It was so successful when it was first published that there are now 250 titles um, or maybe even more than that. I know at least 250 in what has now become the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. The book was developed by two motivational speakers Jack Canfield and Mark Victor, and they used their own stories in their talks, and they had so many people come up to them and ask if they had the stories published anywhere, if they were written down, because they wanted to share those stories with other people. So maybe they wanted to go back to their office and share it with their staff. And so they had so many requests 
that they decided to go ahead and compile their best stories. And so they picked 101 of their stories and they put it all together in a book that they called Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I'm not sure who exactly came up with the title, but it was absolutely brilliant. And if you check out their website, they've expanded into some other areas as well, but their whole purpose is to help others by sharing stories and provide comfort and encouragement. And they describe it as that their stories are kind of like grandma's cooking. It's comforting. And when I look at the title, it kind of reminds me of the feeling, you know, I kind of think of, you know, coming in from the cold, maybe playing outside in the snow, coming in and sitting down in front of a bowl of hot soup, chicken, chicken noodle soup. And, uh, but the whole idea behind it, again, is just speaking, um, stories and things to provide hope and encouragement to nourish, you know, people's, um, to nourish them and to provide hope and encouragement. Um, and while the stories of others can be inspirational and motivational, and we can connect to others through their stories, we can receive comfort when we, you know, hear about someone else going through something similar to us, there truly is only um, one who can nourish our souls in the exact way that we are, they were, um, were designed to have them nourished, and that is God. So the word of God, we were meant to per, um, receive nourishment and be fed through the word of God and time spent with God in a way that, again, there's a lot of great stories out there, motivational speakers. There's nothing wrong with, with reading those, and we can indeed be inspired by those, but there is, of course, the words of one that will nourish us in a way that no one else can. And that's the words of God. Just as our bodies need food and water, our souls need spiritual nourishment that can only be found in our time spent with God and the things, um, you know, uh, time walking with God when we do what as he asks, which I'm going to explain as we continue further. But the Bible speaks of receiving our daily bread and, you know, reading his word and each day, and that's Matthew 6, 11. And when tempted by Satan in the desert, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's Matthew 4, 4. So in other words, Jesus was pointing to the reality that man, we need spiritual nourishment and our souls were designed to feed on the sustenance God provides. So not only do we have physical needs and hunger and thirst in that in that way, but we also have spiritual needs that can only be met through reading God's word and communion with him. So with this idea in mind, Isaiah 49, 9 says this, I will say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. So I want to just provide the context of this verse and if you are able, I just encourage you to go and read it. It can be a little bit confusing if you read it without any study help. But if you jump on BibleGateway.com or look at any of their free study resources or Bible Hub, look at their commentaries um, or simply a study uh, like an NAV study Bible or something that becomes more clear. But in the very first section of the verse that I read last um, week, the Messiah, the speaker, is addressing the nations and tells of his purpose in restoring Israel to himself and being a light to the Gentiles. And here in this section of the passage, the verses speak further of the Messiah's purpose in bringing captives out of their slavery to sin 
and into freedom and walking with him. And these verses certainly can be speaking of unbelievers becoming saved, but also can be representative of our Christian journey when we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and follow him where he leads. Though it's speaking again to us as Christians and talking about walking our walks with Jesus on a Christian journey, this verse also speaks of the Israelites in captivity of Babylon, talks about how they um, will be led by a savior, um, Jesus back to their home in Israel. Now, obviously at this point in history, Jesus had not yet come to earth, but he was still very much present in the story of the Old Testament. So if you read the passages, it talks about Jesus. Um, it's kind of, well, it, it speaks of them being led by, you know, home. And we just get this picture of this, you know, these people being shepherded and led by a good shepherd, which we know would be Jesus. So even though he's not necessarily seen in this passage, um, as far as they don't physically see him, that he's still very present. And um, if we remember the history of Israel, the Israelites were taken from their homes and put in captivity in Babylon. When they fell into disobedience and idolatry, they were worshiping idols. They broke the terms of their covenant with God. And he warned them over and over if they did not listen to the warnings. And so as a result, he allowed them to suffer the ruin of Jerusalem and their temple and be taken from their homes. And they went into a period of exile for 70 years. But this passage is talking about when they were released at the end of that time and God allowed them to be freed and taken back home. And so there are two things I just want to draw out from this passage that I think is important along this topic we're talking about. The first thing is the the passage tells us that they will feed beside the roads. And here we're just given a picture again of the captives being led home like sheep following a loving shepherd. They were given nourishment and taken care of when they went the God, the way that God led. And I think that's so important for us to note is that they received that nourishment because they went in the way that God pointed out to them, the way that was the route to get home. And in a similar way, we are given nourishment, and I'm talking about spiritual nourishment here. Um, in the passage, it may be referring more to like a physical, but, you know, it's representative of our Christian walk, and we are given spiritual nourishment when we walk in the path God has for us. In fact, if you read some translations of this verse, it doesn't say they will feed beside the roads. It, it reads, they shall feed in the ways. And there was one um, particular commentary that was so helpful for me. I, I study these scriptures and sometimes they're so confusing and so difficult and I pray through them. Um, but a lot of times, you know, God will, will give me just that illuminate for me the passage. But a lot of times he'll just lead me to a commentary that just will confirm what he's telling me or just illuminate for me what this passage truly means. And the one commentary I read that I just felt like just broke this verse wide open for me was Alexander McLaren's um, analysis of this. It just made so much sense to me. Um, but one of the things McLaren points out is that they were fed as they went. So we can't miss that the food showed up alongside the roads. It wasn't given beforehand that they were actually going on the journey when they encountered what they needed and the needed sustenance. So 
so often we'll hesitate to follow Jesus when his way looks hard or it looks like a way that we don't really want to go. But we can be assured that we will be refreshed and strengthened when we listen to his voice and follow him. And though another way may point to a place that looks easier, more comfortable, if it's not God's way, it will lead us to spiritual stagnancy and starvation where we'll just feel, you know, just like we get physically hungry or weak or tired if we don't eat spiritually, we'll starve ourselves if we walk away from God and say, you know what, I'm just going my own way here. I don't need you, God. And we don't make a conscious effort to walk with him. I want to just read to you um, what McLaren says on that point. He says, if you wish to weaken the influence of any principle upon you, do not work it out and it will wither and die. If a man would grasp the fullness of spiritual sustenance, sustenance, which lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him go to work on the basis of the gospel and he shall feed in the ways and common duties will minister strength to him instead of taking strength from him. We can make the smallest daily incidents subserve our growth and our spiritual strength because if we thus do them, they will bring to us attestations of the reality of the faith by which we act on them. So what McLaren is saying is that Not only will we find sustenance as we walk in the way that God leads, but the very things that we do in obedience to him will be those things that give us strength. So God may be saying, okay, I want you to have a conversation with this person, or I want you to go over to that particular neighbor that isn't particularly friendly and be kind to them, or I want you to share the gospel with this coworker, or I want you to start this lady's Bible study or whatever it is. And we may say, God, I'm just exhausted. I have so much going in my life. I don't have time for this. Um, I've got kids coming out of everywhere. I've got this unruly kid. I've got this sick kid right now. I've got, you know, all these um, work projects I have to turn in. When am I supposed to find the time to do it? But it's, you know, in doing those things, not only spending time with God, but doing the things that he directs us to do, that all of a sudden we'll just be bolstered up with strength. And it's like we move from strength to strength um, when we simply walk with him. So I love how McLaren explains that. And secondly, the other thing we can pull from this passage is not only will we feed beside the roads, but we will find pasture on every barren hill. Now, when I first read this verse, it did not really stand out to me. I had no idea what I was talking about. I was just not really that blown away by the words because I didn't really understand what they were saying. But when I began to dig into them, I, I was blown away because I, I was like, wow, I did not realize this was what it was truly saying. And this is awesome. But what I think is really important is for us to slow down here and see the contrast between pasture, we will find pasture, on every barren hill. There is a contrast between pasture, which speaks of like lush grass, a place to eat, and then barrenness, which speaks of nothing, dirt, no grass, nothing to eat. And it says, we will find pasture on barren hills. So if you think about this for a minute, um, what it's really saying is that we will feed on we will have enough nourishment for our souls when we go the way God leads but even in those places that are barren that look barren that 
are disappointing to us, where we have hardship and suffering and loss, if those, if that's the way God leads and those are the things that happen as a result of following him um, and just living in this life and we say, well, Lord, I'm following you and I'm encountering all this suffering and these horrible things are happening to me. And Lord, how do you expect me to go on when this is happening to me? And I, I am just never expected that I would have this much pain in following you. What this verse is encouraging with us is that even in those places that are barren, we will have an abundance for our souls. And that doesn't mean we won't be sad or we won't be, um, you know, um, have trials or we won't be disappointed. It doesn't say that, but it does say that even in those wilderness places that we will be sustained. If you look into the, um, I don't even know the word topography. Is that the right word? If you look into the, the landscape of the east, the pastures would be places down in the valleys or the low parts. There is no pasture up on the top parts. And so where God was leading these captives home, he was leading them across these barren mountain tops. But even in those barren mountain tops, they had nourishment. They had what they needed. And that's just such an encouragement to us that we will have the help and strength of God on our side if we go where he leads. And, you know, he is the place we can turn when we have anxiety, depression, sadness, guilt, anger, frustration. God will help us. And it tells us in scripture, he is close to the brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. So it's better for us to follow him and walk in those hard places that look really not very appealing than walk in the comfortable pathways that are far easier, that are not where he's leading at all. Because we sometimes can look ahead of us and there are two choices that present themselves to us. One that is easy and comfortable and more of our physical needs may be met on that path. Like we may have more worldly comforts following that path. And yet that's not where God would be leading us. And we can go there and we may have all that we need as far as worldly possessions, but we can be completely barren in our souls. And then there's another path we can go down sometimes instead that does look more barren that maybe we won't have as many worldly possessions or comforts that the world provides. And yet God's saying, this is the way that I have for you. And it's in following that path that even in those very, um, those places that are not as abundant looking, that there is provision. And even, I think there's another shade of meaning to this. Again, as I was reading through McLaren's um, commentary that he points out, is just this idea that it's when we encounter suffering that God is really the closest to us and that we can rely on that that comfort that there will be troubles. Um, many assume that in Christianity, we that there is going to be no trouble. And some preachers actually do preach that. They preach a message that says that there will just be prosperity and abundance. And while God does bless us, and sometimes financially in, in those ways, and sometimes he does allow us to have um, the comforts and the, and the some worldly um, comforts and so forth. 
that we are told in scripture that we will encounter trouble, that the world is fallen because of sin and that we will have trials and tribulations. And this is how we grow. But it's in those seasons that even though we suffer maybe physically, maybe emotionally, that our souls can grow if we allow and look for God's encouragement in those times, instead of hardening our hearts or turning away from him and say, God, you've been too hard. I'm not going, I'm not walking with you anymore. And we just open ourselves to the pain and say, Lord, I am hurt. I can't believe you allow this to happen. I can't believe I'm here, but Lord, I'm going to turn to you because I have no other place to turn to find comfort. And it's when we do that, that we will find a comfort that is supernatural. The world cannot provide it. It cannot be provided by someone else's um, encouraging story or someone else's words. And certainly God can speak through someone's words and often does. But what I'm saying is that God can encourage us and comfort us in a way that no one else can. I've walked through several really hard seasons and one season that I can look back on over the last seven eight years that has been particularly difficult is when um, I had my second miscarriage. Now, both times, my first and second miscarriage were difficult. Um, but the second, the, my with my second miscarriage, the season lasted longer of suffering because the recovery was much more intense. But when I had my second um, miscarriage, so I had my first miscarriage was my first pregnancy, and then I had two um, healthy pregnancies. My um, oldest daughter and my son were born, and I we didn't even know if we were going to have a third. We didn't know if we were going to have another child. I unexpectedly got pregnant, and for my other two pregnancies before that, I had been, it was difficult for me. I, I was a little fearful throughout both of those pregnancies because I had had the experience of miscarriage. I was I was very tentative. I, I had a hard time just not worrying. Um, but with the third pregnancy, or I'm sorry, it was really my fourth. I know it's confusing. It was my fourth, but I would have been my third child if it had been born. But um, fourth pregnancy, um, I felt really good. I felt good physically. I felt optimistic. I thought to myself, I've had two prior pregnancies, you know, um, that went fine. I've already had a miscarriage. So that suffering is done with. I kind of felt like I had put in my time with suffering because I already had one miscarriage. I, it was not even on my radar that it would happen a second time. It, I thought everything was great. I was not worried. I went on a trip early in my pregnancy. I had an ultrasound that looked great. Went on a trip. When I came back, I started feeling not so great. I really just, can't explain it, but I didn't feel like I was pregnant anymore. It was weird. And then I woke up um, two or three days after I got back from a trip and immediately knew that I was, that something was wrong. And um, I called my doctor and they said, you need to come in. My husband was planning to work that day. He stayed home. He drove me. My, we had our two kids. I mean, we didn't even have time to like arrange childcare or anything. They were in the car and I knew that things looked pretty bad, the symptoms that I was having. And so I was, I was, we were driving to the doctor's office. I was trying to be hopeful, but I knew that things did not look very good. 
And the sun was just streaming in the window and I just felt, kept on feeling like this phrase, you can let the pregnancy go. Now you may be listening to this saying, wow, that sounds really offensive. Um, just letting something go. But my inclination, what I mean by that is that I was holding on tightly, as tight as I could saying, you know what, I was trying to, and sometimes we do need to, we need to tell ourselves hopeful things. We need to hold on to hope. We need to hold on when things are bad. But then there's some situations where you can't do anything to fix it and you have to emotionally let something go. You have to just release the need to control it and say, I, I, there's nothing I can do here. And that's sort of what I need is I just kept on hearing that phrase, like you can let this go because I wanted to control it and I wanted to fix it and I couldn't fix it. And, um, you know, I knew it was just like I was struggling because I was, I wanted to hold on to the idea that I, that I, that everything was going to be fine. But the reality was I kind of, the other half of my brain was telling me, Carol, based on what's happening here, it's, it's not looking good. Like this, you're, you're losing this pregnancy, you know? So I went to the hospital. Um, well actually, so we were on the way to the doctors and then things just were progressing and I was on the phone with them and they said, you know what, you need to go straight to the hospital. So I did and got checked in and, um, there's no other way to say it other than it was, the staff was great, but it was a horrible experience as far as it was such a shock, like it, it got bad so quickly um, that I had not expected, everything had been fine up to that point, I just did not expect for my health to get in the state that it did and things to get so bad as they did. And just within a short time of being me at the hospital, they wheeled me into surgery that very same day. Um, I was released from the hospital that night when they released me, I needed a blood transfusion and they apparently didn't know that. I don't know why no one checked, but they released me. And so it was a situation where I was borderline. And when I went to my follow-up appointment and I just told him how awful I was feeling, I was so weak. I couldn't even, you know, really get out of bed without having like feeling my heartbeat in my head. And I just couldn't walk without feeling weak. And because I just um, didn't have enough blood in my body. And um, so they were going to set up a blood transfusion, but I was borderline. So they said, you know, they wanted to get it set up, but I was, I don't know. I wasn't thinking clearly. And they, I said, well, what if I don't get it? You know, can I, can I just get my health back on my own? And they said, yeah, well, it's going to take three or four months, but you know, you, you know, if you take care of yourself, well, I wasn't thinking clearly. And I said, well, I'll be fine. You know, I'll be okay. I had always been healthy. I thought I would just bounce back. I thought it would be fine, but you just can't bounce back from not having enough blood in your body. It takes a long time to get that built up again. So it wasn't three or four months where I was physically kind of weak. It was nine months that it took to kind of get me back to a place. But it was during that time that I felt the Lord's presence closer than I think I'd ever felt before. And his just his strength and encouragement. And it was such a time of of pain and grief and suffering. But it was also a time of him being closer than I had ever felt him before. And also when I was at the hospital, I asked him if I could just see what my 
unborn child look like? I, because I wanted to know. And there was just a picture in my, that flashed in my mind of this girl and she was, she was laughing and she had freckles and my other daughter has freckles, but she looked different. And it was like, he gave me a glimpse of what she looked like. And I know people could say, oh, you just imagine that, you know, you, you just made that up. But I really, I really think God gave me that picture. And then the other thing he did too, was there was something I was really struggling with during that time was that I had a, a, a struggle with how much I had suffered and the physical suffering. And I felt like he had abandoned me and betrayed me. I just felt like if you love me, Lord, how could you let me suffer this much physically? And he reminded me almost immediately when I told him that he reminded me that his own son, Jesus had suffered, that his body had been brutally beaten and mangled on the cross. And he loved his son and yet he allowed him. And so that really, in a weird way, comforted me. And I, and it, it enabled me to, to heal. And he healed and I, I felt completely healed. And to make a long story short, I did get pregnant a year later again. And it was like exactly at 11 weeks when I had lost the other one, 11 weeks that I got to have an ultrasound and see my new one. It was like this weird situation where I was supposed to have an ultrasound at nine weeks, but then the ultrasound tech was out. So then they rescheduled and then it ended up being like the exact week of the one that I had lost. I had lost the, um, my third pregnancy. Um, I'm sorry, my fourth pregnancy. I'm losing my math here. Um, at 11 weeks, 11 and a half. And then I saw my fifth um, pregnancy, my, my third child um, on live child, I should say, um, on the um, ultrasound at um, 11 weeks. And so God kind of brought me full circle and healed me. But he told me things and, and gave me pictures of things in that time that no one else would have known or could have known to tell me. And so that's what he does. He gives us exactly what we need to continue on. He turns those very barren places into places of nourishment and completely heals us from, from things that are beyond what we could ever comprehend. So the conclusion is through our everyday trials and our bigger ones, God is with us. He nourishes our souls in a way no one else can. And yet we have to reach out and grab the nourishment that he offers. So how exactly do we do that? Well, it's by intentionally drawing close to God each day, reading his word, but also obeying his precepts, which it's not an earning salvation. We don't earn it. We ask God to be in our lives and then we walk with him. But we do make progress and grow when we cooperate with the Lord. And it says in the Bible that we are co-workers with him. So we cooperate with what he wants to do and he does the work in us. We we don't, but we grow. We, we won't grow unless we, we do as he says and walk with him. So we, um, we grow when we walk with him, but we will get dry spiritually and stagnant if we, we don't attempt to hear from him, if we don't walk the way he leads. So if we're far away at the moment and we just, we haven't been listening to his voice or we haven't been carving out time for him, we can turn to him at any moment and get back on track. This isn't a beat yourself over the head kind of message. This is just simply saying, you know what? why wouldn't we take the opportunity to to spend time with him 
when we have such an assurance and promise of nourishment and we have that available to us. I mean, we have to remember that God led his captives home after they rebelled and were disobedient. So if we are far away now, he'll do the same for us. We only need to draw close to him and he will draw close to us. It tells us that in his word. We allow God to lead us. He takes us to places where there is an abundance of food for our souls. And that can give us hope no matter what place we walk in, whether it's through fertile valleys or barren heights. So that is the encouragement. I want you to to tune in next week. We'll be continuing on with Isaiah 49. I've got two more great messages for you from this passage. Um, So stay tuned for that or check out the articles on BeulahGirl.com. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, you, you promise us within your word that you will walk with us, that you are with us, and that when we walk with you, when we spend time with you, that we are given what we need to go on. Whether that's through someone's words or a sermon we hear or the words of a song or you directly speaking to our spirits or some other way. You have so many creative ways of speaking to us, of giving us exactly what we need. And Lord, we can't find this anywhere else, anywhere else in the world. We cannot find this nourishment. So Lord, with this message, let's just be encouraged to keep pressing in. If we are suffering, we're in a place that we don't understand, help us to just be encouraged that when we turn to you, when we continue to walk with you, and be faithful even though we don't like where we are we don't like where you have taken us lord that it's in those places where we are obedient and walk with you that you continually refresh us and give us what we need and we can't have that anyway anywhere else if we go our own path lord we are not going to encounter the sustenance we need for our souls so let's just be encouraged to turn to you and thank you lord that you care enough for us that you give us exactly what we need And you take such wonderful care of us and you love us enough to lead us in in the way that we should go and provide for us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.